Welcome, everybody, to People of Efrat, where we all get to learn more about this great community and the people that make it tick. Dylan has no idea what's going on. Something to attention. Hannah Weiss, good morning. Good morning. We're live. Yeah. <laughs> we're all live. It's, uh, it, it was an interesting morning. We, we weren't sure we were going to do this, right? It was like, it was going to be... It rainy, and then all of a sudden the sun came out, and the sky is insane right now. It's gorgeous. Yeah, one of the best things about Afrat is the sky. Like, all kinds of weather. <laughs> I also feel like in the wintertime, there's like a special sky for the winter, where we get a special treat. During the summer, it's, it's beautiful, but in the winter, we end up getting these like cotton candy clouds oh, that yeah. kind of just, um, you know, and then the sun is rising and setting, and the light hits it, and it just... Yeah. Not normal. Ah, Dylan's making an appearance. So Dylan, welcome Such to the show. Dog. Yeah, and it's crazy. Like around Efrat, around the Gush Bichlal, because it's so hilly. Yeah. So the clouds in the winter, depending where you are, are completely different. Like up in the Tamar, we're right at the top of the Tamar. Right. And I think we're like the second or third highest Yeshuv in the Gush, yeah. after Neve Daniel. And when it's raining, like you're actually in the cloud. Like the rain clouds, are, it's almost like fog. You're yeah, it's pretty cool. enveloped by the envelope. How do you even say that word? Yeah. Enveloped by the cloud. You're British, so any way you say it, it sounds like it's good. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. My we like Britons accent. on this podcast. You're the second Briton on this crown podcast. Yeah. fans? Are you guys, you guys into oh, the crown right oh. now? I mean, I don't really follow everything. All I know is that there are people who want to be, be royals, there are people who don't want to be royals. <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah. It's, it's all very interesting. Why is there still a king and a queen in England if they have no power? There isn't that's a king the, in England. Right. There is only a queen. Now, but that's true. <laughs> because we no, are... But why is that concept, like, still a thing? Like, you know? A constitutional monarchy? Yeah. Um, wow, that's, like, a huge responsibility. <laughs> right, to you're, like, that. representing all the British the people. I have to monarchy. Oh, my God. Um, I have to say, like, we really, like, more and more, the last few years with all the disgustingness and controversy surrounding like leadership in Israel with four elections in one year, three elections, whatever it was, right. and America, oh my God. What's going on in America? What are you talking about? Don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> and England, like I really, I've really appreciated my queen. Like I've really appreciated like over the she's last year. She's a good year, queen? She's, she's good to her subjects? Like the royal family, I think they figured it out. Like they yeah. figured out that people just as they, they want realness, they want to relate to them as representatives of, like, English people, whatever, and all the drama with, like, Harry and Meghan. Right. They're just real people, and that's relatable, and I love, like, just watching the humanitarian work they do and watching, like, the Queen work on Zoom. Hello, it's the funniest that's thing. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you can... Royal Family YouTube channel. I did not think I'd I, I, I didn't know that exists, but I'm checking that out. It's amazing. That's wild. You can watch the Queen working on Zoom. Does, can she Thanks. knight people over Zoom? <laughs> Has that happened yet? Oh my God. I mean, like, that would be a really neat thing. It's an actually an interesting sad, Shiloh for COVID because, yeah. like, how is she going to knight them with the sword? That means they had to come closer right. than two meters to her. Right. Or there's someone sitting behind the camera, and so there's like a sword there. That looks as if she's doing it, and then she could pretend she's doing it, and then it's a. Oh my god! I don't know. We went way down that rabbit hole, but it's. It doesn't happen that often. Yeah. Getting knighted is something pretty special. She's knighted um, some awesome people, Sir Elton John. I'm yeah. a big fan of that knighting. Yeah. Um, Sir Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. Yeah. Allah Vashalom. He, Prince Charles, actually, who is, you know, first heir to the English throne, wrote the most amazing Hesped for him. Yeah. 
which is like pretty amazing when you think about like one Jew to be Zohar to get a hesped like that from royalty. Right. Um, yeah. Jonathan Sachs. That's incredible. Yeah. We were talking about the, the funky clouds in Efrat. So you're an artist. I mean, yeah. th- does, does, does that kind of like help with your creativity at all? Like some of this Completely. scenery, like you were talking about being in the clouds, that kind of thing. I wrote a song about it in March. Like, um, it was at the beginning of lockdown. And I really like it, actually. I have to, I'm just working on my production skills, like I said before. So right. it's going to take a while to get this song <laughs> Me online. too. Yeah. But um, I think I had this, I get like real cabin fever. I think anyone who moves to Efrat is probably attracted to the outdoors. Like they're kind of outdoorsy. Because sure. it's such gorgeous, raw, natural beauty in this area. And um, I had like a freak out when they were talking on the news. And, and it suddenly felt like COVID was moving in closer and closer to Israel. And it was pouring with rain. We were getting like the end of a late winter. And there was all this talk suddenly on the news about having to go into lockdown and what that meant and being stuck in our houses. And I went crazy. And I grabbed my two youngest children, Erev Shabbat, a few hours before Shabbat. It was pouring with rain. And I ran to one of my favorite beauty spots in the Gush, which is um, in Sajna, on like just one of the Mayanot outside Batayan. Oh, neat. And probably not the most responsible parenting. We were like slipping and sliding down the hill <laughs> on the rocks in this like slippery mud. And it just it was so exhilarating. It just like helped kind of get out that cabin of fever, right. freaking out about this impending lockdown. And um, I came back home straight away. And like an hour before Shabbat, I sat and I knocked out a song about wow. feeling free. And it was, it talks about like the clouds and just noticing things from your window when you're just sitting inside longing to be outside. And like, yeah, lured by the amazing dramatic weather. Beautiful. Yeah. You mentioned that, you know, you like Gush Etzion and Efrat, but you didn't start here. So mm-hmm. how did you get here? Yeah, I'm also a city girl. So it was like a massive culture shock adapting to country living. Um, so I made Aliyah when I was 18. Actually, before I was 18, this was back in the days pre-Nefesh B'Nefesh. Oh, wow. Where planning Aliyah meant going along to the Jewish agency mm-hmm. and uh, talking, you know, about uh, uh, when you would do your flight and making it official. And it was like a much slower process. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you, you go to um, the Jewish agency from Israel or you went? In, no, we have in, a representative in London. Okay. I was, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I was yeah. a very... Um, independent, like 17-year-old. So okay. I had my own car at 17. Clearly, you made Aliyah at 18. Okay. Yeah, and I was also cabin fever. I was thinking about, I just had to get out of England uh, for college. And mm. there was a lot of pressure because we were actually the last year entitled to three degrees in English universities. Right. So it was like a lot of pressure to like, oh, you know, wow. sort out university. And Bichlal, like in England, the way that we choose our subjects in the last two years of high school is all affected by what we want to study. So there's like pressure mm. and talk years about what you're going to do for college and I was thinking about it and I looked into studying in New York and in Paris and um and then I found out online about this the Jewish agency were giving free degrees to people who made Aliyah um so I jumped in my little black Citroen um I remember like blasting Mariah Carey's Emancipation of Mimi album had just come Uh out so I remember like blasting it on the way to the Jewish agency when met with the Shaliach brought the papers home and somehow convinced my parents to sign it um and then found myself here it wasn't too dramatic when I arrived because besides the fact that I met my husband in a bar the night before starting seminary. Dovey's the man. Dovey's the man. <laughs> no other way that like the universe could have brought us together. We're so Unreal. in such different places. It's beautiful the way Hashem works. It's incredible. 
they're shuddering, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, it wasn't too dramatic in the beginning because like a lot of my friends were doing gap year programs in England. Right. In Israel, sorry. Right. And so it was I, like basically you were here alongside them. Like. I had like a smooth landing, but then suddenly at the end of the year, everyone went home and I got married two mm -hmm. weeks after turning 19. And my husband was in the army and it was, to say, a culture shock in the least. Mm. <laughs> can't imagine. Massive, massive shock. Um, so yeah, so we spent the first nine years in Nachalot, the center of town in Jerusalem. Oh, wow. Which is nice, because when you've just made Aliyah, like I made Aliyah, I was in like a very lonely situation. I was sure. like a young girl, my husband was in the army, I had no friends, family here. And this was like the days before Facebook and WhatsApp, right. where basically I dropped off the radar. Like my friends, there was no way for anyone to keep in touch. Right. Um, so, so losing myself in the city of Jerusalem was just like incredible. Hmm. Um, and then... By the time we had three kids, <laughs> my youngest, Eden, um, in 2015, house prices kept going up and up and up every year. We like kept our eye on it. We always knew at some point we'd have to like grow up, leave the center of town, settle down, white picket fence and all sure. of that. Um, and we just kept... You actually did do a white picket fence on the house on Pito Mactora. Oh my God. You did the white picket. I mean, I don't know if it's a picket fence, but isn't there a white... Aluminium fe fence. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, we have a white pergola. Okay, there you go. There you go. Sorry, another the tangent. Universes, yeah, laughing. Um, that's all part of the suburban. You've got to do it. Um, yeah, so we kind of outgrew. We were living in like, you know, regular like two-bedroom, 80-meter apartment on the fourth floor of a dodgy old building mm -hmm. in the middle of town. So we got our acts together, and Efrat just like ticked all the right boxes. Mm -hmm. um, we twice actually came really close to buying in Modian. And we preferred Efrat in the end, A, because... Like, we connected Jerusalem, like, you know. It's nice to be close. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, you're either a Jerusalem person or a Tel Aviv person when you mm. make Aliyah, you know. Most English people go to the Merkaz these days. But, right. um, yeah, my husband grew up here, and it was, like I said, I had this really special bond to Jerusalem because of, you know, how I'd made Aliyah. Um, so we wanted to be here. We loved the atmosphere of the place. We... To be honest, we weren't familiar with the Gush at all. We spent one Shabbat here before yeah. buying our house. That I was find it. a lot of people say the same thing. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's, so, it's like everything that you shouldn't do when you're moving house or right. buying a house. Um, but yeah, we just it just felt right. You know, like I think finding a home is kind of like finding your shidduch. It's just you click. Like right. you, someone, teacher of my Leah Golom once said, like she quoted her husband, Michal Golom, um, basically a very special person and he yeah. said like everyone has their Yerusha oh yeah. you knew him oh, yeah I miss him um, yeah he said like everyone has their Yerusha and you just click with it when you land on your spot in Eretz Yisrael that like your ancestors made their homes you feel that like magnetism so yeah Wow. We landed here. And like your 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 like move to Efrat wasn't simple either no you're like it's it's not often that someone makes a move, then they're somewhat, you know, confused, maybe a little bit unhappy where they are, yeah. and they stay in the same town, move to a new neighborhood, and then all of a sudden everything's, I don't know, is it going great over there? Yeah. It's, but I feel like at first, like, you landed in, right, and it just wasn't my team for you, but somehow there, these new fresh neighborhoods popped up. Right. And, um, yeah, I feel like you guys made another move. And then that ends up being, like, really for you guys. Yeah. Oh, thanks for mentioning and, that. You know, it's also, like, what's cool here is, like, I'm, I'm looking 
forward to like representing every little uh, every nook and cranny of a frat. So each neighborhood has its character. So you guys are part of the character of the Tamar. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'll ever be part of the character of anywhere, but I think... Um, well, you live there, <laughs> right? We live there. Yeah. Um, the nice thing about when we came to the Tamar, like you said, I think like, we, were, we were determined to keep it in a front, even though we felt, like you said, in the beginning, we landed here, it was very difficult and we weren't happy. Yeah. Um, I think part of that was like a huge culture shock of being like a city girl, like I grew up in, in London. Right. Um, I always enjoyed my independence. I enjoyed being spontaneous, jumping on buses and trains, getting around, walking sure. around. And then we lived in, in Jerusalem where we were in such a central location. Any time of the day or night, you didn't even need a car, you know, to get mm-hmm. around. Um, and then suddenly landing here on the end of a mountain facing another bare-faced mountain. Right. It was like, oh. Right. I joked with Jessica a few weeks ago. Yeah. Like, if you want to go anywhere, you know, you, you're walking up that hill. Oh my God. Or maybe it was Esther and Yoni. Yeah. Mountain. Yeah. yeah. No, it was, there was something about it. I know some people really love that. For some people, that is the appeal of coming here. Yeah. But for us, we would like drive into Ephra. And first, it was coming on the tunnel road. I would be like, oh my God, I am leaving the earth. And then we'd drive into the Zayat. I'd be like, oh. And then we'd get into the Zayat. And then we'd drive all the way down and around to the other side of the mountain. I'd be like, I'm on the moon. Right. Um, yeah, but no, we, we loved it, and I think we, what we recognized was that we understood that um, there was nothing wrong with the front, and there was nothing wrong with the neighbors. We just had, like, dropped our pin in the wrong spot. Right. Um, and the exciting thing about the Tamar was it was a brand-new neighborhood at the time, a brand-new community, so we felt like we could contribute. We didn't feel like, well, it's already established and if it's like make it or break it, we right. have to either fit in or we you could... You get to be a part of the molding of the neighborhood. Yeah, that's a really nice word. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, it's kind of exactly what I was saying before. So you guys are representing the tomorrow. Oh, thank you. You know, and when once we moved from Zion to Dagan, I feel like also sort of the same thing, that fresh feeling, you know, sort of like an upstart neighborhood. A lot of people from a lot of different places, not just the front. Yeah. People who haven't necessarily been here for, for you know, since the beginning or, or grew up here. I have to meet more Dagan people. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know, like, the people who are already, a lot of people moved around sure. the same time as us, as you know, from right. Desire to the new places here when they opened up. Um, yeah. Or they were, like, you know, renting there while these neighborhoods were being built. Right. Um, but yeah, I haven't really, I, I need to hang out here more. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Well, COVID and everything, you know? Yeah. Um, so, so then you guys come to Efrat. So like lately, I've been, I've been seeing a lot of stuff of like some artistic stuff that you've been doing. You're, you've been creating music, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Are you always a musician? Yeah, I started learning to read sheet music before I could say my ABCs. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was very privileged growing up, and I had like private piano lessons from four or five years old already. And I How did you know? I, I went through this with Brother Dave. How were you taught? <laughs> um, were you taught um, learning like, classical music? Yeah, so mm-hmm. th- that I I know sets me apart a lot from like the world of music production nowadays. Is a lot of self-taught people, or it's very, you know, obviously when you're inventing new music, you have to be very imaginative and, and leave the rules behind. And a lot of people in this world, they've made their introduction through like electronic music and self-producing. Right. Um, so yeah, I followed 
a curriculum of the Royal Academy of Music. Oh, wow. Which is... Sounds very proper. It sounds very proper, but it's yeah. very standard because in, like, middle-class families in England, yeah. it looks good on your university application form if you can mention what grade level you got to in an instrument. Sure. So if you follow, like, the Royal Academy's um, board, then you get to you get to do those exams and you kind of know how you're progressing. Um, that was like very classical, but I was also in my high school jazz band. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Classical so music and jazz. So you play jazz yeah. piano? I used to. Oh, I wow. Mean, I was, I actually, um, on a demo that I did back in January, um, like the producer brought in an amazing jazz pianist, mm -hmm. Jonathan Harriman, who's, uh, he's got this like group called the Harriman Collective and they just dropped an incredible, Incredible new EP on Spotify called Crap. Check, Check it, it out. out. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, so they have a female rapper. It's like not jazzed like you know it. Um, so yeah, I can't, it's taking me time to learn how to just let go. But I would, like I said, I played piano for years. And when you play an instrument for that long, it becomes like a limb. Yeah. It's like more than a mode of self-expression. It's like... I think one of the, when I came, when I made Alia and I didn't have a piano until I bought a piano, it was like a grieving. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so, uh, so when, you, when you become that familiar with an instrument, you just, even if you are following the most rigid mode of study, you yeah. just become ex expressive with it and sure. you play with it because it's, it's like, it just feels natural. Right, for sure. Yeah. And it's like, it's icon kind of comes just, it just flows when you've done it for that long and, and you know it so well. Yeah. So like the stuff that you're doing right now, are you, are you writing new music? Are you writing? Yeah. Uh -huh, you are. Okay. Yeah. That's, I'm a songwriter. Mm -hmm. And are you doing it for your own, um, like release? Like, do you want to release it on your own? Like as an independent as artist? As an independent artist? No. Okay. Now would be the wrong time to do that also. Uh-huh. Interesting. <laughs> but no, I want to, I just want to sit, I don't want to be famous, I don't want to be a singer, I'm not a performer. That's what Sia said, you know that, right? Halavai, <laughs> <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> but um, I just want to be like a stay-at-home mom in a frat, doing what she's good at and what she loves, and I'm putting beautiful music out there that's useful to people. That's great. Yeah. So what are some of the cases that you've done recently? Like, what, have you, what kind, of, what kind oh, of music wow. have you done recently? So, long, I mean, long term, like, the plan is I would love to just be self-producing, soundscape-y kind of music for, like, Netflix and film and TV. Okay. But um, it takes, you know, you have to be really good at, if you want to self-produce, mm -hmm. which it makes the most sense to do in, in that kind of business. Um, then you, it takes, you have to have really good production shops right. and that takes time to hone, especially sure. like I didn't, I was actually registered at BPM music school in Tel Aviv, right. um, to study production. And I, I didn't, in the end, I decided I want to figure this out for myself. Um, so for now, what I've been doing is I'm teaming up and co-writing with like a lot of producer songwriters mm -hmm. and, uh, like DJs who create their own original tracks and they need help turning it into a song from what they call a top liner. So top lining is basically I write the lyrics and the melody, yeah. but they've got the whole instrumental oh, uh, part neat. of it. Yeah. And, and, they, and, and they work on like the production of it. So you help, help you that. basically help, you're a songwriter, you help them write the song and create yeah. structure to it. And yeah, uh -huh. that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, like, do you feel like when you write like lyrics, are people connecting to them and, and, and do they connect it to it in the you same way to. you wrote it? Like meaning like, mm -hmm. you know, you, you probably have one thing in mind and then maybe someone, I mean, everyone relates to everything differently, right? 
I haven't shared my music enough yet really to get like that kind of feedback. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, I know that there's, there's this idea of like, you know, an artist being pure self-expression and saying things exactly how it feels. Something that I've learned, that I learned quite early on, um, I, I, I get my songs appraised regularly by like mentors and people in the music industry that like I look up to and, and like other songwriters, older experienced songwriters, uh, which I think is a smart way to go about things when you go into something new. Sure. Um, and something I learned early on to quote them was you have to write from the heart but craft from the head. So when you're writing a song, you have to consider this is like with any good business. I come from the world of marketing. I was a copywriter for nine years before I went into oh, wow. this. Okay. You have to always have your target audience or your target like avatar in mind. This is a conversation. Music is a mode of communication, of expression. And if you're just going to sit and write to yourself stuff which is cryptic that only you understand, like inside jokes and all of that, it's just going to fall flat because how can it reach someone's ears if you're not writing it for them, if you're not addressing it and delivering it to them? Mm -hmm. um, I heard actually like Lady Gaga once in an interview say that when she was writing her Joanne album, throughout the whole album she had in mind a woman, which is, I think she said it was like, an house, like a, a single mom from Idaho sitting there with like a family like um, a heirloom necklace. Created yeah. in her and mind. Exactly. She knew she had in her mind with every song this pitch she fixed on this how the character looked and who she was and she had this like whole story and she knew exactly who that person was that she was talking to as she wrote and every she wrote song. the whole album that way for that person. Kind of, yeah. Oh, I mean she also it also helps when you collaborate with like Florence from uh, Florence and the Machines sure. and Mark Ronson and all of them, like they know what they're doing. You collaborate right. with them on an album, then uh, you can't go wrong no matter how you write. My, my biggest claim to fame is I think I played at the bitter end, like ah. one, this, within the same week as, that she was there. Because she used to play. She used Lady to play Gaga? There. Yeah. She, there's, I, have, I saw a recording on YouTube of her there. His mm -hmm. name is Stephanie German. Germanotti, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so. It was like right around the same time I was there with Paydollard, like maybe the next week or something like that. Oh my that. God, you have to tell so me we were more playing about like, music. We were playing like the same bar, like the same wow. place in the village. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's my claim to fame. Yeah. So, um, so back to the music. So basically, like you've been writing. So when it comes to the songwriting, are, are you doing it on the piano? Are, um, yeah. are you writing lyrics outside of that? Is it, do you need the music? It kind of always comes together. Um, like with the top I know it's line, a very broad question, you know, because I'm sure every situation, every song is a little different. I think like some songs, um, they're just like sitting inside you waiting for a trigger to come out. And that's all you need is like a flash of inspiration and boom, it like just comes out of you. But obviously when you're writing as a business <laughs> yeah. and you need to practice, um, there has to be some kind of like discipline. So I normally, um, the, the words and the melody have to come together mm -hmm. for me. Um, I find it hard. I've started co-writing with um, like um, a couple of people have two different like co-writing groups weekly um, where we all collaborate on the songs and lyrics. But I find it quite awkward. It's almost like taking pieces from different puzzles and trying to make them match. Mm -hmm. um, 
But yeah, sometimes like with the top lining, something that I'm learning to get good at is to first listen to a piece of music and then be inspired by that uh, to write the melody and the lyrics that sit on top of it. Um, but obviously the most organic way for me to write is either sitting out somewhere with my notebook, just like using my voice as an instrument, or sitting at the piano and you just play around and you find like an interesting chord progression or you suddenly realize that like, wow, that sounds really pretty, and then it gives you a mood, and it's, there are all kinds of things that can prompt a song. Right. Yeah. Right. Really neat. I mean, the, the, like, I've been speaking to a lot of people, and thank God we have a lot of creative people here in Afrat. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And yes. uh, it's really inspiring me to, to me to see the changes that people go through and the choices that they're making, especially nowadays with mm. COVID. Yeah. And... Um, it's just interesting to hear, like, you, you were in copywriting before, and then you decided, okay, this isn't, what, like, what happened there? You decided maybe this mm -hmm. isn't working out for me. I want to be more creative. I want to do something that I've always wanted to do. I want to use a, this, this, this talent that I've had or this thing that, that I've always been able to, you know, express, yeah. uh, maybe make a living out of it. Like, what was that about? Well, there was an aha moment, which involves one of your neighbors, yeah. um, which happened about a year ago. But, no, I always... I grew up like an, I'm, I'm an oldest child and an oldest grandchild on both sides and I was, you know, I always found school easy. So there were always very like high academic expectations mm. um, and the expectation is that I would choose a real job. Um, so I always wanted to do something creative. When I was in high school, I got this idea in my head that I was going to go to St. Martin's School of Design and become a theatrical costume designer. Um, <laughs> that was quickly like <laughs> nabbed at the bud. Yeah. Um, and then when I got to Israel, I wanted to study architecture and interior design. So like I did, I always was pulled towards doing something creative. Um, and then just kind of like life happens. You look for a job when you need a job. Right. And you, you, you look at the res. And I never thought that I would be like striking out on my own to do something creative. Um, and then I, I made the move um, from being an in-house writer to being a freelance copywriter. Mm -hmm about three or four years ago, it kind of tied in with the move to Efrat. Just out of necessity, I felt like I had to make a choice as a mum between uh, being prioritizing a career in a more traditional full-time job and office environment, which would compel me to commute to a city and probably live closer to the Mekas, if I'm going to be honest, because right. of the kind of work that I was doing. Um, and the job opportunities there compared to the opportunities in Jerusalem. Um, between that and being a mom who wanted to like, raise her kids in a more traditional, wholesome, suburban setting. And I tried juggling and having both, and I, like, my world kind of imploded. I, just, I was burning the candle at both ends. Right. And then I found out about different platforms on the internet and different ways that I could be working as a freelance writer for clients all over the world right? from the comfort of my own home. Hmm. And Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. <laughs> Pre-COVID. I've been using Zoom for a long time. Yeah. And sort of stumbled into that. Um, I just, I, it was just a matter of making a personal choice. And then, yeah. And then... With the copywriting, so when, you, when you're working from home <laughs> and you run, run your own business, you need huge amounts of discipline and motivation. Sure. There's no boss breathing down your neck expecting you to work. There's no one paying you by the hour. Like You've got to make things happen for yourself. And that was a huge um, 
journey for me. Like I learned more from the couple of years that I was like learning how to be a business owner and be self-employed than in any other like experience, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and then it just got to a point with the copywriting where my piano and my music was always a distraction. Um, and I would like sit down to write these blogs and sometimes even when, you, when you're writing for the clients you want and the material you want, sometimes you have assignments which it's, it's just work, like you can't turn it into fun. It's not fun, it's dry, it's boring, it's mm -hmm. formulaic and I just got sick of it. Um, so then this is where we get to your neighbour, Raquel Arrays. I was working, I had a desk at the time in Lulin which is the sure. incredible co-working space. I haven't in... been inside, but I saw the video. Oh my and it looks really neat. It's like such a gem. It's mm -hmm. such an asset to the gush and to yeah. small business owners, small companies. It's also in a really unique spot. It's like yeah. in the kibbutz. It's inspiring. Yeah, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Like it's lo I love it. It's much more inspiring to me than like, you know, being in like a concrete jungle. Um, mm -hmm. So we were like hanging out and I stopped by her office. She was, this was before she'd, launched her video editing company mm -hmm. and she we were talking I must have we must have been I must have been venting about you know how I felt really stuck and unmotivated with my copywriting and she was like well, what do you want to do and without thinking it just came out I want to be writing music I, I'm a, I want to be a songwriter and she said to me just go like just do it if you are already putting in so much agonizing and so much effort and thought into being this copywriter and having your own copywriting business why not just transfer all that, that will and all that determination and all of that motivation which is not coming to you right now yeah. into what you really want to pursue? And I'm so happy I did it then because who knew that 2020 would end up being the year where like, having businesses like this would be such an asset. <laughs> sure, for sure. Yeah. And the working from home aspect, you were way ahead of the curve there. Mm. And... Um, so like you're sort of like in the process now of like building up this new business. Yeah. So there's like a whole learning curve here yeah. and it's sort of like a long road, right? Mm -hmm. How do you keep yourself motivated? Like obviously you're used to working at home, right? So that you can manage your time well. But, uh, I love what I do. Yeah. That's it. With the copywriting, I realized that it was not really what I wanted to do because I had to keep trying to motivate myself right like this gives me life this is like something that I have always done as a hobby I've always done out of enjoyment my whole life like writing music and um that first time when back in February literally a couple of weeks before COVID hit Israel yeah I had the opportunity to be in London for a few days and I just pushed myself to find every single open mic night for songwriters and it's London oh, wow. so there's always something every night yeah and I found a couple of good ones. I got pointed in the right direction by friends who had come from that world and knew the scene. And I was sitting on a stage in a venue in Camden, which I'd heard that like Adele had performed in back in the day and Amy Winehouse used to live down the road. And I just, I just told myself like, I, don't, I have to get on that stage because I have to. Like, this is what I have to do. This is like a shlichut and I just I have to do it and I have to get this experience behind me. And even if I fall flat on my face and I just merge back into the faceless crowd afterwards, it's fine. And I went on the stage and it was, it was, it was like everything you can imagine. Like I never held a mic properly, performed in front of people. Yeah. I didn't have like a proper like warm-up routine. And I, want, I decided to share a piano ballad 
and waiting, waiting outside in the rain. An hour before the place opened, I found out that they didn't have a piano or keyboard for me to use. Oh, okay. So I was going to have to do it a cappella somehow. Oh, wow. And I was like, near the end. Had you ever sung in public before? No, okay. never. And I was near the end of the lineup, and oh my God, the musicians that were coming on stage were like, I mean, amazing. I mean, it was London, so there are people who are being sent by labels to like test the water. There were all kinds of really great artists, and then I get up there, like, oh, I would like my pucker <laughs> on, right. and like my my piano ballad without a piano. Right. <laughs> and I went and I shared it, and um, and I I felt really accepted and encouraged by the whole experience. Like I told the crowd, this is my first time, and. Like, I don't have the backing music that I wanted to share with you, so I'm just going to have to call on your own, like, creative, like, <laughs> like we're going to have to do a bit of crowd participation here, and I got people to, like, click, clip it out and make sounds. Right. And I just, I felt like I'm home. Like, it just felt right. Um, so, like, once you have that kind of push-off into something, like, that motivation really lasts, um, and you just have to hold on to it, because, like, I chose to do this. This isn't something that I fell into. That I'm not a victim of circumstance here. Like I wholeheartedly went after this in my early 30s because I knew it was what I wanted to do. Right. So like if that isn't motivation, then I don't know what is. Right. Wow. Well put. Wow. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. I mean, you know, like when it comes to these kind of things, like you're really putting yourself out there and I'm sure the, all these little voices in the back of your head, well, okay, if I... I put this out, what's it going to look like? What happens if I do fall flat on my face? But you're just going for it. And I really admire that. That's, that's really you. incredible. That's really incredible. Um, so your life in Afrad here. How mm. do you feel like your children are doing here in Afrad schooling? I and, love I mean, it. schooling's a little odd right now. but You know what? Yeah. The schools have been brilliant. Um, I love it. That's why we're here. I mean, like this is just going to sound so corny, but I say it to like Dolby a lot. Like, we wake up in the morning, and I look out my window, I, like, press that little button to open the trees next to my bed, and I see the hills, and I see the clouds, like we were talking about, and I yeah. see the vineyards, I take a breath of that, like, effort, gush air, mm -hmm. and I see the children playing in the street, and I just feel so at peace being alive in this place right now. Like, I love it. I, I This is why we're here. My kids are having a wholesome, safe, protected, rich child childhood which I don't I don't know whether that would be possible anywhere else it is just what we wanted for our family wow yeah it's beautiful yeah yeah I mean it's 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 a special thing I keep trying to find the right word for it I've used the word Hamish a lot for hmm. a it's not a good word for so we wouldn't use that word <laughs> Dude, for sure not yeah um oh man I love that man we're gonna have to have Aww. him on Thank you. Yeah, he but wouldn't. He wouldn't. Uh, do that. I was gonna say he might not want to talk as much as you do. He wouldn't want to talk or speak in front of a camera. I feel like he's <laughs> Sorry, more of a guys. doer, you know. Yeah, he's like one of those quiet, practical people. Yeah. Yeah. Sweet man. Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um. So yeah. So like that word Hamish. I'm like. I'm just thinking. I'm like. That's not the. Word. You have to help me. I. I don't know how to express myself. You're the singer songwriter. I'm. I know. I'm putting you on the spot here, but. Mm. I don't know, maybe not one word, because that's pretty hard to use, but you, you kind of said it in the last five minutes, right? Okay. But 
I was using the word Hamish. I need a new word for community oriented. Community oriented. You guys are Hamish. Yeah. I have to say, like, just a minute to shout out to you guys, yeah. like, because we used to be neighbors when Holly's we were in the right here and She's smiling. And hey, <laughs> <laughs> don't want to disturb you. Um, shout it out. What'd you say? She said homie. She yeah. said homie. Nice. Yeah, homie's good. I'll be the homie. <laughs> Um, yeah, but you guys, like, you have had a Hamish experience because you made it that. Like, you, I remember uh, you being, like, the head of the Kiddush Committee so. and, like, you know, for the shul and you were so involved and, like, you know, the community there and, and then the shul and doing things like this podcast. Like, you guys feel like a frat is Hamish because you have brought your, you know, made a home mm. out of it. Interesting. You get credit for that. I guess when, yeah, it's, it's my experience of it is, like, the what it is but um that's yeah. maybe not everybody's experience of it huh like, yeah. yeah it depends like it, it look it community does community oriented is a good word that's that's a good word <laughs> that's a good all-encompassing word yeah wow well hannah thank you so much for coming and joining us here and i really appreciate you taking the time thank you. um it's important that we showcase everybody and representatives of the tomorrow neighborhood in the house. Oh, um, big up to Yisrael Weiss because I promised him yeah. I'd give him a shout out. I'm, he's my favorite. He's Aww. my favorite fan. He said it. <laughs> um, yeah, and thank you for having me here. And I love what you're doing. Keep doing it. It's Thanks. brilliant. And I can't wait to meet some of the other people of Efrat. Right? Good place. If you like this podcast, please subscribe. We're on YouTube. You can hear us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. Thank you.